Hi everyone, welcome back to Don't Tell the Babysitter Mom's Dead, a grief podcast hosted by me, Brittany Ashley, where I interview other people who've lost their mother and then examine a piece of pop culture that is dead mom representation. Hashtag dead mom representation. This episode is slightly different. There's no pop culture segment, don't hate me, but only because this episode contains not one, not two, but three interviews. I interviewed women close to me about their experiences of almost losing their moms. Close calls, if you will. The time in their life, the relationship they had to their mom, and the effects that it's had on them have all manifested in different ways, and you'll get to hear them one by one. First, I talked to my friend Kristen Russo. She's the co-founder of the LGBTQ organization Everyone is Gay, the CEO of My Kid is Gay, and the co-host of Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a Buffy rewatch podcast. But if you are wondering, its alternate title could definitely be Buffy is Gay. Kristen's story about this time in her life is pretty wild. It's just, I mean, here you go. My mom and I had a really complicated relationship when I was a kid, and then that only got more complicated because I came out at 17, and she was raised really Catholic and had a very hard time with it. And, I mean, you know, I came out at 17, I was 21, so it was really only a few years into that process. I had been with one girl for two years and was sort of like on the tail end of that in the breakup of that in the whatever space you are in the immediate aftermath of a relationship with that person and that had been a nightmare her that girl's parents wouldn't allow me on their property my mom had gotten really furious with me and this girlfriend and like yelled at us both like it was really a very fraught time I had just moved to the city maybe a year before that so I mean, it's 21, like 21, I don't think anyone is at like the ideal place to have something traumatic happen to, I mean, you're never at an ideal place to have something traumatic happen to one of your parents, but like certainly at that point or like your teens, it's just like the worst time because you're not like, I wasn't able to express anything kindly at that point. I was just mad all the time and she was mad all the time. So it was, yeah, it wasn't great. She went in to have her gallbladder removed. I don't think I really thought anything. Like, your mom's having her gallbladder out. Who the fuck cares? Like, it was, like you know, now at 37, if my mom was going in for any kind of surgery, I would be like, oh, I hope she's okay. Like, what is the, what is the surgery? What does it entail? How long does it take? But I wasn't in the headspace to really think those, those things at all. And so she went into the surgery. She came out of the surgery. Nobody really knew anything was wrong when she came out of the surgery. And then when you have your gallbladder out, you know, it's right next to your like bile duct. Excuse me for anyone who's listening who's like a medical professional that I probably will just destroy the Or who's just like eating dinner at yeah. this moment. <laughs> yeah. I'm basically sorry to everyone. That probably covers everyone. You're either eating dinner a nice or a doctor. Scallop. <laughs> but um but your bile duct contains poison essentially. Like it's like the way your body filters out the most poisonous things in your body. And when she went into the surgery, they shredded was the word that was used they shredded her bile duct um and either didn't know right away or it's it's unclear but it was like a pretty egregious case of malpractice where slowly her body was being poisoned and so her her system went what's called septic which is when you know there's poison just in in your entire abdomen it's not like contained within you know an organ or whatever it's just like in your bloodstream and so she got more and more ill And my dad, I think mostly my dad at that point was like trying to advocate right at the beginning to be like, hey, this thing, this like thing that's on the outside of her body that's only supposed to fill up like once every X amount of hours is like filling up every 20 minutes or whatever it was. It was like obvious to a layman that something was wrong and they weren't doing anything. Eventually she went completely septic and so then they had to put her into an emergency surgery. That's really when I knew that something was wrong. My aunt called me. I was waiting tables in the city and I like worked a shift and I came out of that shift and I had a voicemail on my like first cell phone ever, you know? And it was a message from my aunt and she 
wasn't very sad. I don't think you're thinking about like what you're doing at that point. My aunt definitely was not thinking about the fact that like she was leaving a message for the daughter of this person. She was just like, your mom might die and you need to get home now. It wasn't like I went from like, your mom is really sick. She's more sick. She's more, it was like, I went from kind of nothing to just getting this message and not knowing what to do with it. And I called her back or I called my dad. I don't even remember what I did. I called somebody. Maybe they were like, go home. And we'll let you, like, we'll call you in an hour and let you know what's up. But, like, things aren't good. And I remember trying to hail a cab in, in the city. It was still, like, daytime. I must have worked, like, a lunch shift or whatever. And I tried to hail a cab. And me and this woman and her child, like, sort of, like, hailed the same cab. And she was like, oh, I'm sorry. But, like, I really need to whatever. And I just was like, like, my mom is sick. And I, like, I need to get home. And she... Like typical New York. Like she wasn't like, of course, take the cab. She was like, we can split it. And I was like, fine. So I wound up in a cab with this like random woman and her kid. And we dropped them off. They were going close. And then I lived in Queens at the time. Took me back to Queens. And I lived with my best friend and my very recent ex-girlfriend. And they were both there. And I was just like, I don't know what's happening. But I got this call and I might have to leave tonight. It was the season finale of the first season of Survivor. And we were really invested in Survivor in my uh, Yeah, it was house. a good one. It was really good. And, and really my, changed the game. Yeah. And my mom loved, like, my parents loved it. And we loved it. And we had, like, had a board up where we, like, had predictions and shit. So it was, like, very, very invested. And I was like, I think I might, <laughs> I think I might have to miss the finale. <laughs> like, I, you have to tape it on this VHS fucking tape for me. Like, you need to record this episode of television. And then my dad called and he was like, you need to get on a train. My ex, who is now my best friend in the universe, Randy, drove me to Amtrak, like drove me from Queens to Penn Station, which is a, if, you, if you're a New Yorker, you know, that's like a really dramatic thing. To, you don't drive somebody to Penn Station, you get on the train. But she drove me to Penn Station and I don't know, like I know I had a cell phone because I had a message, but my memory, one of my very vivid memories was of being on the train and not knowing like that I could get off the train and my mom could be dead. That like these two and a half hours had to pass where I just had to ride the train and not know what was gonna, what was gonna transpire. Thing that I remember most about the train ride was just being probably what, what you'd now call like a state of shock, right? But I just, I wasn't thinking about my relationship with my mom. I was just thinking she could be, like she could be dead when I get there. Like, and, and you know, it stretched on. It wasn't like, um, that was the only time that I had to reflect on things. That was like the, the beginning of me reflecting on things. But I remember like that was probably one of the first times, first of many times that I had the thought of, I can't believe I'm going to be that person. Like I just I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that I was going to be the person who was like, oh, my mom, she passed. I, I knew people who ha had lost their moms and it seemed so distant. It seemed like a thing that that wouldn't be my identity. And then like on the train was the first time that I was just like, oh, this is just a thing that happens to you. This is just a thing that happens and then you become that person. And then that was really all that I thought about. When I got there, she was still in surgery and then maybe I was there like an hour or two and she came out of surgery. And when she did, she was really swollen. Like you couldn't recognize her at all because you know, you're not supposed to go in under anesthesia and into major surgery twice within uh, 24 hours or 36, whatever it was. And she had. And so she was just like totally fucked up, for lack of a better word. For some reason, I was the only person who could understand her because she, she could talk at that point. It was before she wound up getting put on a respirator. And like that was a whole other thing. But this this night when she came out of surgery, she wasn't yet on a respirator, but she had a lot of trouble like speaking words. And... I could understand her. And so I was like telling people what she was saying. And I told her about Survivor. I remember being like, don't worry. We taped Survivor. Like we have it for you. And you don't even know what happens <laughs> with the Alliance. <laughs> right. If anything's going to keep you alive, it's that you don't know how Survivor ended. You know, like she made it out of surgery. And so like, I think in my mind, I was like, she made it out. She's like kind of messed up, but she made it out of surgery. But then everything just like went really wrong after that first they were just like her body needs to heal so we need to put her on a respirator so that her body can focus on the healing it needs to do and they started her say at like 40 percent on the respirator and then over the course of the next six weeks it just went up and up and up until the point where they eventually were like you need to say goodbye because she's not going to make it through this I was I guess in my last semester of college or like near to the end of of my time in college 
And I wound up having to take an incomplete in all of those courses because I sort of like left New York and then didn't come back for the entire, almost the entirety of that six weeks. I was there for probably at least three to four weeks of that time. And my car got stolen while I was dealing with this whole situation. I don't even remember what happened with my job. I must have called and just told them what was up and they had somebody cover my shifts for me. So I like took care of those practical things. And then I also put a lot of focus on my sister because I was 21 and my sister was 14, 15. I think my brain has always been a brain that goes to organization to cope. And this is probably like where it's cemented because I just remember like I called her guidance counselor and I was the one who was like, our mom is in the hospital and she's not doing okay. And if my sister is like acting weird or whatever, like that's why. And my sister was really kept in the dark way more than she should have been. But like I was 21 and I didn't know what should or shouldn't happen. And my dad was a mess. My mom was in the hospital for six weeks and my dad would come home for like four hours max at a time, take like brief naps and then go back. He ate no food and drank nothing he just had Gatorades and power bars like he literally lived off of Gatorade and power bars and just sat next to my mom in the hospital for that entire time and it was very eye-opening to me too because I think maybe because of the patriarchy I don't know but I definitely before this happened thought that you know my dad was in control of stuff and my mom was like really emotional and like whatever and then when this happened my my dad I remember there was a moment that my dad just like looked at me and he was like which is like not what you want to tell your your kid when they're going through this but he wasn't in a place where he was filtering anything because he was just so fucked up himself and he was just like we can't lose her like she's the reason that this family is staying together and like I won't be okay without her and I was like what like I didn't know like I just thought you know you're the man and so whatever and so like a lot of our family dynamic also came very clear to me at that time I I think that it was such a formative experience for me because it was the first time in my life and probably the most dramatic time in my life when like I went to bed and thought I knew what was important and then I woke up and everything was flipped and it was suddenly like every concern I had had before that moment was nothing and what really was important came into like glaring focus in a really extreme way and so you know like I said I obviously stopped going to class and I stopped going to work and I I went home and I stayed home and I stayed in my parents house and my dad wasn't staying there so it was just me and my sister but then my mom my mom has seven sisters there's eight girls in the family no boys and they're all really close and most of them live pretty nearby and you know even the ones that were farther away came out and so there was just this massive rotation of ants in our home who would make dinner who would sit I was 21 at the time so like I was more in the loop and I would sit on the deck with them and we was this amazing I mean it was it was it like I have a complicated relationship with my extended family now in like the post Trump era so it's it's like odd to look back on it but they were the reason that we emotionally survived that time they were really probably the reason that I emotionally survived that time and then in a very different way the reason that my dad did too because they just can't and there were so many of them I mean like that's the beauty of a big family is when something horrible happens it's not it doesn't tax just one person or two people there's like a whole army of people and so you know one aunt would come with all the energy and all the wine and we would sit on the deck and talk and I was newly out also and so like the aunts of mine who were more accepting and I had like really powerful exchanges during that time um, where they would just like ask me about my feelings. Do you think the ones that weren't maybe had a little more sympathy in this time than they would have? Yeah I think so. I think so because again it's like I mean, I hesitate to say that any kind of perspective could make like coming out not important because that's not true at all. But we just had a very specific thing to look at together and we all cared about that thing equally. And so it was really easy to find common ground. Like we all wanted her to live. We all loved her. We were all terrified about losing her. And so we were like I was probably closer to my aunts at that point collectively than I ever have been or probably ever will be because no one knew what the hell was happening. That was really scary. So she was she was on a respirator eventually. And like, you know, the way respirators go, 
at first it's just like in your mouth and then once it gets past a certain point they're like we need to do a trach and that was like a really dramatic thing for like everyone but we had to make the decision she like needed the trach so I don't remember where in the six weeks that happened but she eventually got the trach and she like still has the scar from the trach and and the percentage of oxygen that she was getting just kept going up and probably like a a week a few days before mother's day like it was really like I feel like sometimes I feel like my entire life is just like one badly written movie you know where they would reject the script <laughs> like it's just too it's too yeah, much mom's on valentine's day I get it seriously yeah so like the, right it was like okay so mother's day is approaching and she was at 90 percent, and we've got Julia Roberts attached <laughs> I hope so <laughs> So she's at 90% on the respirator and that's as high you can you can go to 100 maybe I don't even know but she we were, she was basically at the max and I remember the doctor saying the only thing that we have left to do is like we can flip her onto her stomach cuz I guess you can like get more oxygen when you're like facing down instead of facing up and then that's it so like we've seen that we've seen what's happening and like she's not going to make it through and so you need to say your goodbyes and I did. And like, it's very blurry to me because I feel like people were with me. And that's the thing too, is people were with me. My ex and I, like my ex came up and my best friend, Jeff came up and they would be, they were both from the area. So they would like stay with their parents, but they were like at my house and what have you. I don't remember if I was in the room with like my sister or if I was in the room with Randy and Jeff and then whoever I was with left and I had a moment. And I, like, never think about it, and I don't really remember it, but, like, I know it was a moment where I was just, like, I hope you can hear me, and, you know, you're, like, I was 21, and so I wasn't just, I had come fresh off of being a raging asshole for the last however many years of my life, but it really, once you hit something like that, like, suddenly all those things that, like, made you be just, like, fuck you, and, like, you don't let me do anything, get put into like a horrible kind of perspective and so I remember just having a moment where I was like I'm sorry and if if this hadn't happened or like if this doesn't happen I will be different and like I will tell you how much you mean to me and I will on and on and on and on and and then I just like said goodbye and we all did my dad said goodbye and I and I don't like I don't remember exactly the moment like I don't even know if there was a moment it was just like suddenly it went from like 90 to 85 and then 85 to 80 on the respirator and like it was going in the opposite direction and the doctors didn't really understand why there was like no actual explanation for it but she just started to get better from the time that the respirator started going down in number to the time when she was like able to have a conversation with us was pretty quick or at least it seems pretty quick in my mind. Like, I feel like the the horrible part was at least four to five weeks. And then the recovery was a week to two weeks. Uh-oh. And at some point they were like, we can put a cap on the trach. Because you can't talk when you have a trach. Because, like, the the air that you need to create a voice come all comes out through the tube in your neck. But you can, if you're conscious, because she had been basically in a, like a medically induced coma that whole time. Like we weren't talking to her. She wasn't talking to us. But once she started to recover, they were like, we can put a cap on the trach and she can talk to you. And we hadn't heard her voice in so long. And they did it. And she was so excited to talk that the first time she tried to say a word, she blew the cap of the trach like across the room, <laughs> which was very funny. And we all got like a good laugh out of it. But yeah, I don't think there was I don't think there was a ton of time in between like her starting to recover and then her like having the cap on the trach and starting to be able to say like, hi, I love you so much. And like, yeah, I think that like in the aftermath, I had a lot of trouble trusting anything. I was definitely aware that she was doing better. She was talking. She wasn't in a coma. Like there were a lot of things that changed very drastically as she started to recover. Eventually, she moved out of ICU and into a rehab facility And I went back to New York, but any phone call that I got, any update that I got, I was always terrified. And I just, I think that I believed for a really long time that, that like she was just going to wind up going back in and she was going to die because it didn't make sense that she had gotten better. And it had all like been taken away so quickly without any warning or explanation that I felt like this was just this brief respite. And then we were going to actually come to the end that 
we were meant to come to, which was that she wasn't going to live. But the whole experience for us was what helped her accept my sexuality. And the whole experience for us was what helped her like really calm down in a lot of places that she was really anxious and uptight and struggling before it happened. But it also impacts her to this day. I mean, she has, you know, most people have like a little vitamin case and my mom has like a caboodle of the pills that she takes, you know, and, and she's, she seems younger and healthier than she was before it happened in a lot of ways. But for years after that happened, she had like tubes that would come outside of her body that like she would have to clean and drain and like go in, you know, it was an ongoing thing and it still is. In the beginning, I just was waiting for something like that. Like I was just waiting for it to like finish itself because I had already come to terms with the loss and it felt like something you couldn't trust that she had gotten better right like in a way you like already went through the feelings of loss and then you had to like weirdly backtrack and like yeah and I wasn't a perfect daughter I didn't do the things that I said I was gonna do when I was saying goodbye to her which was also really big and rude awakening for me just as a human like you you think in the moment of loss and I don't know that many people have the experience of like making being like if only you lived I would do things differently and then having that person actually live and seeing what will happen and what happened is that I just went back to the a very similar relationship that I had had to my mom I wasn't telling her I don't tell her all the things that I feel about her all the ways that I love her I'm not like gushing in ways that some other daughter might gosh I'm still me and I'm still like communicate the way that I communicate and I still express things the way that I express things and obviously I'm more sensitive to her and her needs than I was before this happened but you know if you were watching the movie you would expect to see like a massive difference in the way that we interacted and I think on her end there was I mean she accepted me way more as somebody who was queer than she ever would have if it didn't happen But for me, like, I still got annoyed with her. I still get annoyed with her. I still get frustrated with her. I couldn't really hold on to, like, the preciousness of life once the risk of it being gone had passed. I think one of the biggest ways that it impacted me was that I, from that point on, tried to be ahead of surprise, especially loss. I never wanted to feel the way that I felt when I came out of that restaurant and got that voicemail. I never wanted to feel that way ever again. And I, and I still do this. I mean, I've gone to like years and years of therapy, but I still have moments where I try to get ahead of things, especially like if I don't sleep well, or if I'm going through a really difficult time in life or whatever the case may be when I'm like at my weaker moments, I'm constantly thinking about all the ways that I could die and trying to avoid them, you know, crossing the street carefully, like on and on. And those are things that like kind of were there even before this happened because my mom was very scared of us choking on something or falling through a grate in the sidewalk, you know. So some of it was laid down before this happened. But I think that the experience just made me feel like I I had to work really hard to be ahead of it so that I would never be railroaded by something like that ever again. It really, it really has affected a lot. And something that I didn't talk about at the beginning too is that this happened like six months before ish the World Trade Towers fell, and I lived in Queens. You know, I can never separate those two things at all because it was I was twenty one, and my mom was fine, and then she was dying, and I was saying goodbye to her. And I was twenty one, and I lived in a city where there were two buildings that were taller than any of the other buildings that I saw every night as I finished my shift and drove over the Queensboro Bridge, and then those buildings fell down and were gone. And so it just was a really traumatic time for me. And you know, several years later, I had really horrible anxiety and had panic attacks. And I mean, I think we all go through like a process of being a kid and then becoming an adult. But when becoming an adult coincides with like realizing very suddenly that nothing is permanent, I think it has a lasting effect. I've done a lot of work and it wasn't until recently, honestly, that I understood the, the, the fact that the work had gotten me somewhere because I still like, you know, I, I think all of us have an awareness of ourselves and you know when you're like in a weaker spot or in a stronger spot and when I'm in a weaker spot, I feel those like demons coming up to, to get me. You know, I've been going through a divorce and I thought when the whole thing happened that it would trigger my anxiety and it would trigger all these things because it was really like, oh my God, my whole life is about to like do this giant flip flop, like this massive change. And 
I know that I've gone through massive change, you know, obviously in different ways, but like that same sort of thing where like you think your life is one thing and then your life is not that thing. And I thought that it was going to be really, really bad. I mean, it's been really bad in a lot of ways, but what I realized was that going through that trauma and then like working for the last 15 plus years on that trauma, those traumas actually set me up for more success in my life changing and and changing unexpectedly and that I was more prepared than I thought that I was for those shifts and those changes because I just felt like when this when this recent chapter of my life kind of unfolded I was like this is really hard and 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 like I'm struggling with this but also this is life and life is something that changes and that's okay and like what's on the other side of that change is something else and is it better is it worse is it different like who's to say but I felt I felt through that 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 the that the experience of almost losing my mom and now that I've brought you know 9/11 into it like those two things back to back um, were really difficult but also really set me up to be prepared for really big fucked up things to happen in life and like those those things happen and they happen to all of us at different times but I felt in that experience like for the first time I saw how it had helped me or like. I had helped myself, maybe, in the aftermath of it. Next, I interviewed my best friend, Lizzie Seabuck. Hi, pretty. (laughs) I met Lizzie after one of the most traumatic years of my life, just getting the feel for my gay identity, got out of a really bad relationship, and my first with a woman. And I had never really had one best friend before. Maybe because it was hard for me to relate to kids who hadn't gone through something similar, It's hard to say, but meeting Lizzie was like meeting the friend I was supposed to have my whole life. And the first time that we ever hung out, we talked about how my mom died and how her mom almost died. It's funny. We met, what was that, my sophomore year of college, my junior year of college, maybe. And I had a good group of friends. Like I had lived with two girls and we were really close. But there was just something about like when you and I started talking, it was like, instant it was like a whole different level of just relatability and like I would go as far as to say like intimacy versus like how open I had been with them about anything in my life and it just felt so easy just to tell you everything with like you just said like the first time that we hung out and that's so bizarre how that works especially that conversation I remember it was like a friendship soulmate moment in a way yeah I mean well I think you were you still might be my only friend who's had that happen. You know, of course, now that I'm almost 30, I, of course, hear these stories about my friend's parents having heart attacks and getting diagnosed with cancer and things like that. But I still think to this day, you might be my only friend who has had something that, I mean, traumatizing is not even like the beginning of the how to frame it all up. But I think like because you were just like, oh, this thing had happened to me in a way it like sort of opened the door for me to talk about it. Because even as I was growing up and maybe I've just been lucky or blessed or whatever, but I mean, I think I'm the only one of my, at least my close circle of friends who had had a mom who had gotten sick. And so I never really had the forum or a reason to talk about it. You know, like even when I was in high school or when I was in college with those, you know, again, those two roommates who I still to this day, you know, consider myself have been very close with. But there's just never really just like a forum to like be like, oh, this thing happened in my life, you know. And then, of course, we hung out and you were like, yeah, this is me and my family and my life. And it was like, oh, hey, wait a second. Like I had something like scraping the surface of that. It's like in a way, like it allowed me to talk about it. So my mom had breast cancer twice. I mean, here's the thing. Like when I think about my mom being sick, it's like it's hard because it's not like it happened to me. You know what I mean? Like my mom being sick very much happened to her and I had to watch it happen. I was lucky because like lucky as I guess as lucky as you can be because I was so young. So the first time that she got sick, I was in kindergarten. I really don't remember much of it beyond like my kindergarten teacher pulling me aside after we did like the pilgrims and the indians play being like you know you could always talk to me and i was like what (laughs) about what um the second time i think that she was going through chemo when i was in sixth grade she might have been diagnosed when i was in fifth but she was going through like the the difficult treatment on um the surgeries and everything i would say between fifth and sixth grade I'm like fairly certain I had gotten my first rag like that summer as well. <laughs> so it was just like, throw it all in the cart. Um, of course, let me make this cancer story about me. 
I don't remember her telling me she was sick. I can't remember those conversations. I mean, how old are you when you're in sixth grade? I must have been like 11 or 12. 38. I had a <laughs> Billy Madison situation happen. I just remember a lot happening at once. Like, I remember staying at relatives' houses. And I have an older sister, too. So we would um, sort of be shipped off to people's houses for weekends or weeks at a time. And I don't I, I don't think I knew why. I mean, I figured she was like getting treatment or like, you know, maybe she just wasn't doing well. So maybe they were shielding us from all that. Like to this day, I really don't know like what those gaps were um, and where we would see her. But when we did reunite, she was always just like, these are my new wigs, you know, and like she would bring home her two new wigs. And I I don't remember the other one's name, but I remember Marlo was the name of the sassier one. And it had like like these big bangs and it was like kind of like what do you like what do you call it like a bump it just like this already like built into it like bouffant so she just like kept everything super light she was trying to normalize it for you absolutely yeah absolutely and i don't remember which relative it was it might have even been my dad who i'm not very close with they had split up like maybe a year and a half maybe two years before then I truly don't remember but I remember them being like I know that she's like you know it's your mom she's gonna like act like everything's fine but you need to know that she's really sick and I remember that and I remember being like really to myself not really out loud and you know in the moment I you know acknowledged it and said okay to myself I was like I mean she would tell me right and I I think like that's part of it like to protect you she wouldn't actually tell you how bad it was i remember i was gonna stay at a girlfriend's house for the weekend and i think it was another one of those things where she just like wanted us out of the house so she could like be miserable by herself and i remember deanna's parents pulled up in my driveway and it was like a nice day and there were like kids riding bikes around the neighborhood or whatever so like everyone was out and about and doing stuff and they pulled up in the driveway and they're like Lexus. And this is important to me just to say out loud because when I was a kid, I thought a Lexus was like the nicest car that you could have. <laughs> so it was like, I'm going to be riding in style this weekend. My best friend is here. Her parents are here who are rich. They've got their Lexus. And my mom comes outside to walk me to the car. And, you know, her and Deanna's mom are catching up and saying, how are you feeling? You know, like, how's it going? Like, how's the treatment going? And my mom, I'll never forget this, she just grabs her hair and pulls this clump out and this chunk just like sort of fl- like floats away in the wind. And she's like, well, it is what it is. Look at this. Like, isn't this amazing? And I just remember the look of horror. Just like, what do you say to that? Like yeah. to my mom, who is just like <laughs> absolutely no filter, just trying to keep it funny and light. Like it is what it is. <laughs> and like just helping birds nests across the neighborhood get built with her clumps of hair. She just always kept it light. And the only time that she didn't keep it light was when she got home after her mastectomy. And that's like when you can't pretend anymore you know what I mean like I remember her being on the chase lounge in our living room just like a shell of a person just like a blob and I just remember like not even really going into the living room it's like you don't really like step past that dividing line between the kitchen and the living room because it's like once you go in there like then you're just like you have to be vulnerable and allow yourself to absorb the situation and I was just sort of like no I'm just gonna step back into the kitchen and pretend what's going on in there is not going on in there but yeah my mom's a badass she she didn't really let us see a lot of the bad stuff and the stuff that we did see she this is so bad to say but she kept it funny (laughs) it's funny now again at the time i was like mortified but it's funny now what i will tell you because i don't again i don't really remember much between the time i was like in kindergarten and sixth grade but what I do remember is like a lot of the drama around when she got sick when so like I said her and my dad split up when I was in like fourth grade and then my mom started to date and that was like kind of a bizarre thing like I remember her going on dates with other professors my mom is a criminal justice professor and I remember like her like getting dressed and getting ready to go out on dates and stuff and then she got sick and so like the there were less dates she started to go on like weekend trips with um Vince who's now my stepdad and they would go to Arizona for weekends or they or he would come to Chicago for the weekends and i remember the first time that Samantha my older sister and i met him he walked into the kitchen and i just like 
there's so something about like childhood memories like where you remember like the wallpaper on the walls and what the kitchen floor looked and felt like and I remember our kitchen floor was like this like light yellow and and like just terrible triangle and squares patterned and then the wallpaper was blue and had these little white spots all over it and I remember just observing the scenery as he came into the room and Samantha my sister runs up to him and she goes are you my new dad (laughs) and it's like not even like we're we're like little kids at this point like you have to remember like I'm in like fifth grade like so Samantha's got to be in sixth or seventh grade at this point and it was just like such a like a facepalm moment My mom got sick shortly after her and Vince started dating or maybe again, I'm messing up the timeline, but the point is she was sick when they were together. And a part of like the drama of the whole thing with her is, um, you know, she got told at one point that she I don't again, I I don't she'll hear this and be like, that's not what happened. But from what I remember, um, she was told that it like didn't look good, you know, and I don't know if they gave her a percentage but they gave her a timeline and, and, you know, this was like what's realistic and what you can expect. And she didn't share that with me ever. I mean, I know it now, but at the time she didn't share it. And what I also didn't know at the time is that her and Vince got married in a courthouse, like without telling anyone, without telling us, without telling. I mean, maybe she told her best friend. I don't know. But it was after she got that timeline, they both were just sort of like, fuck it. And they went and I think she wore the wig to the courthouse and did the whole thing. And I remember finding out because I was on our basement computer and I had signed on to my AOL or my AIM screen name or whatever it was. What was it? Well, <laughs> Lazy Daisy 817. That so it doesn't sound like you at all. I know. But I remember I was trying to log on to my AIM screen name and it like, for whatever reason, it was like, yeah. Or like whatever AOL does and it automatically signed on to hers first and I remember the first thing that popped up was an email that she had sent to a couple people being like so we did it like we got married and it's real and we're so happy and he was still living in Phoenix and we were in Chicago and I remember like all the hairs on the back of my neck stood up and I remember my, my neck getting really hot and I just sort of like stepped back so it's like it's not always like not like I was mad but it was like the, I think one of the first times I was like holy shit like she lied to me like she tells me everything and I remember like just sort of being well being infuriated and and feeling like a child for like one of the first times because she never really treated me like a child you know what I mean like she was always just sort of like like I said yes she protected me from things but she was like always fun and chill about it and so it was like one of those first times that it was like wait a second like you have shit going on in your life that you're like not telling me I don't really remember the why but probably because it was soon and she had just been divorced and she was sick and you know all those variables but that was like a scandal it was like what do you mean you had a secret courthouse wedding? After she was in remission, they they made it legit. I mean, it already was legit because they had like signed legal documents, but they got married at Maggiano's in downtown Chicago. And Fuck if, yeah. And if you've ever been there, it's just like such a classic Chicago thing to do. And I remember she walked down the stairs in her like cute little white dress and Marlo the wig. And she... I think at the end of the night, she ripped the wig off and threw it down the stairwell. That sounds right. Yeah. (laughs) So what do you remember about when she no longer had cancer? She's been cancer free for over a decade and it still doesn't really feel over. Like I remember, you know, she would need to go in for checkups and chemo and, and I don't really remember. I don't really know like the regimen of things that you need to do. But as I got older, she became more honest, you know, and it came became like a little bit less cloudy and fun you know where she was like yeah well they say you know like we just we just gotta gotta stay guarded we just gotta stay on it you know you can tell that it was always something that she was worried about as I got older what I know about my mom with her like female friendships I sent you an email that she loved last week my mom has always been I assume even before the first time she got sick she's always held her female friends so close I remember when I was growing up, one of my mom's best friends, Betty, had breast cancer and she died. And I remember how broken she was like that. I I remember that more than anything than, you know, I, I remember that more than her baldness. I remember that more than her vomiting. I remember that more than like anything that happened with her sickness. I remember her reacting to Betty dying and I remember going to Betty's services and things like that and just how broken my mom was. So 
my point is how cancer changed her. It, I think she's always been like a deeply female focused, like building female relationships person since day one. I think having cancer be an experience in her life. I mean, like I mentioned, like she has done the hotline for why me breast cancer and Susan G. Komen for like, I want to say the last 15 years. Like I remember I would walk in her bedroom at night and like want to tell her about my life and stuff. And she'd be on the phone with women who were, you know, like three months into their chemo and had just, or had just found out that they have it. And my mom would be listening and talking about her experience and how she broke the news to her kids and what to expect and all these things. And I would just sort of have to like beeline and turn around and leave the bedroom because it was just a lot to listen to. But is it, if it's possible for my mom to have become even more like a female warrior, then I guess that's what happened. Like if, if that's even possible, because again, she's always been that person. My mom had sent me, or actually, to be honest, she forwarded me another fucking email. And it was one that she had written to five of her girlfriends. And it was about my grandma. My grandma, Ermini, is like 98 years old and she is in Chicago still. Um, and she still drives and she still goes to church like three times a week or something. And she still goes to the grocery store by herself. And anyway, her best friend just passed away, Carol, who's like, I want to say she was in her late 80s. And, you know, my grandma's really upset and she's really down. And, um, you know, now we're trying to figure out how we get grandma over to Phoenix and over the west side of the country with the rest of us. My mom, watching my grandma go through this loss of one of her best friends, inspired her to write this email to her five best friends being like, you know, I just watched my mom go through this and I'm so happy that we've had a lifetime full of memories together. Um, and there's just nothing like having a, a good girlfriend. And it was just oh man it was just like such a nice simple reminder of having female friendships I had to forward it on to Brittany and a couple of my other girlfriends and be like and I had a couple people respond to me being like can we be Carol are, are you Tess or are you Ermini or no one really knows my grandma's name but I think my mom has always been just a loving fiercely loyal girlfriend and I think like she is the kind of woman who would like drop everything to fly across the country and be by your side if you needed it and that's probably because like in the her times of need like I, like I said I was shipped around from house to house I like had a million sleepovers with these like five lady friends um so it, it is probably karma in a way but yeah I would say ever since she got sick she just this is I'm sure for every person who's experienced cancer like she's just living every day and appreciative and grateful and just just doing it yeah that's Betsy I can't imagine what it would have been like if I would have lost her then I mean now it's I mean as you know like she's like like the love of my life like when I think about her I think about how Reese describes uh, Laura Dern and Wild you know what I mean oh, God. <laughs> like, yeah. like I just feel so lucky and I think a huge part of that is like she shielded me from so much but from the time that she started to get better, she was just so honest. Like, she, you know my mom. She's just so honest uh, in, like, the best and worst ways. It's particularly sweet to listen to the way that Lizzie describes how wonderful and fiercely loyal her mom is to her girlfriends because that's exactly how I see Lizzie. And lastly... I interviewed writer Kirsten King. Um, so hello, girlfriends. Hello. Who is also my girlfriend just for the purpose of understanding our connection to each other. We live together, love each other, and all that stuff. Kirsten's mom got sick a little less than two years after her parents got divorced. So most of her adolescence was just she, her mom, and her sister. I honestly really loved that time in my life before my mom got sick. In particular, before she was dating a really shitty guy, it was like me, my mom and my sister. And we kind of were just each other's rocks, I guess. My mom was the type of woman that would buy the like self-help, how to fix like everything in your house with three tools. And there was something like really empowering about that to me because it's like, we're not going to call a plumber. We're not going to do these things. We're going to like figure them out. And it would just be me, my mom, and my sister figuring out all these things and problems that were happening to our house. I think that that's like the unique thing about my mom being a single parent is she 
made chores fun or like financial hardship fun when we had our heat super low in the winter was like we're gonna sleep in the living room with the fire tonight and like we're gonna watch center stage and it's gonna be so fun the relationship I have with my mom now and the relationship my sister and I had with my mom is very much like equals and I think that line like was always a little bit blurred between like parent and child and then when she got sick especially it was it was super uh, blurred my mom and I think a lot of parents do this where they like downplay any medical problems they're having or they just like don't tell you in general so my mom when she first found a lump didn't tell us she found a lump and then when she was getting a biopsy she was just like I'm just going in for like something super quick it's no big deal and then when they told her that the biopsy had came come back irregular again she was like it's such a small chance that it's anything malignant like it's probably nothing just like very much downplaying it so I honestly thought she was gonna be fine because also I didn't like I couldn't conceptualize that someone close to me could potentially die because at that age I hadn't even had a grandparent pass away so I really couldn't conceptualize not having my mother especially or or her being sick in that way. So I took her at face value. And then when she told me it was breast cancer and that it was serious and she was going to have to, you know, get part of her breast removed and go through chemo and all that, I was actually mad. My first instinct was to be mad at her because I felt like she lied to me because she downplayed it so much that she, I remember, and I still feel guilty about this. I remember her saying to me, like, I'm going to get chemo and I'm going to get it removed and I'm going to get radiation and I'm going to like go through all these steps and like, you know, I'm going to be fine. And I was like, don't tell me you're going to be fine because you told me it was going to be nothing. And I like, don't believe you anymore. That was so shitty, but I was also 12. So I was on the verge of being like an angry little angsty adolescent, but I still feel incredibly guilty for saying that. When my mom was sick, there's like a couple things that changed. In her personal life, she was dating this guy at the time who my sister and I just completely hated. We very much tried to parent trap him. He didn't want he didn't want to be with a woman that had children. So like being with us was like a, a compromise for him and he made that incredibly, incredibly clear. So I was kind of mad at my mom at the time when she got sick because she was dating this guy who clearly didn't like us and it had been the three of us for for those few years that it was hard to understand why someone why you would bring someone into the mix that like didn't want your you know your kids for for us and for our everyday life he kind of like because he was a dick very much like started seeing her less and that like hurt her a lot like he was like not ready to be there for someone who is so sick and so my sister and I you know very quickly we learned all of these things like uh, we had been used to doing chores and used to doing the dishes and used to doing those things to a degree but this was just like a next level parenting that I couldn't I did not expect it was like making dinners cleaning helping her get dressed if she you know making sure she was sleeping okay if she got sick like checking on her in the bathroom just like all these things that like my sister and I actually shaved her head when she started losing her hair so there were all these things that you think you're used to doing like grown-up chores and then when you actually start physically caring for a sick person and you're 12 and my sister was 14 it was just like it was yeah I I feel I feel like I felt a thousand years old for so long and I feel like definitely her being sick and my sister and I you know, just especially during the chemo, like you get so sick during chemo. So my sister and I would like make these dinners and like try and like make it like so nice. So she would, you know, and it was like a mystic pe- like frozen pizza and like a side salad. <laughs> but we were like, we are chefs. Bon appetit, mom. And then she would just, you know, she would be like gagging. She would run to the bathroom. She wouldn't be able to keep any of it down. I remember being really hurt by that because I was like, my greatest work as a chef and like she can't, she can't keep it down. I think I was like just at the hormonal age where I was like ready to be angry and sad about everything, but I didn't feel like there was space to be any of those things. I, I feel like going to school and like hearing about the shit that was going on, I just 
kind of felt like it was all really stupid, but I also wanted to be a part of it. Like I really wanted to like have stupid problems and silly crushes and like write dumb shit in my diary. But I was so focused on like my mom getting better that I don't really think I could relate to those issues, at least at that time. My mom decided to shave her head because we were like eating dinner and a huge chunk of hair just fell onto the table she was really embarrassed and my mom like went into her room with like a bottle of wine for a while and my sister and I were just like sitting at the table and we're like okay let's just clean up let's clean up the hair let's like not acknowledge this any further one of our neighbors Christine came over with the clippers and then my mom came out of her room like she had drank a good amount of the wine gave some to Christine my mom had beautiful beautiful long curly hair like it was just like crazy perfect and pretty like long pretty curly red hair it was still long at the time which is why it was falling out so quickly and in like such big chunks but she was like I want you guys to give me a haircut my sister and I were like okay like what do you mean and she was like you know if you want to give me bangs like now's the time if you want to give me a bob now's the time so like my sister gave her like a trim (laughs) and I was like I'll give you like a bob with like you know sharp blunt bang I don't I mean I didn't know I didn't have the words for that at the time but I, I gave her like some insane haircut and it looked so bad. And I think that that honestly made her like more ready to shave her head being like, wow, I have this terrible haircut. And then we like went out onto our porch and I remember my dog Bailey was just like sniffing at the hair as it fell. And I was like worried Bailey was gonna eat the hair. So these are like the weird little things I remember. But I remember we shaved her head and like Christine was kind of helping us a little bit. But my mom was trying to make it like, a, again, like I said, my mom always growing up was like make shitty things fun and I feel like that's like the first shitty thing that I was like this isn't fun (laughs) so right after we right after we finished doing that and I like saw my mom without her hair that was when I was like oh you are sick you're like very sick because I think I think like she was wearing makeup and she was she looked the same like she was going through chemo and radiation for a while and especially while she was going like she looked the same for a long time until until she lost her hair and that was that's like a weird thing that I still have a complex about so I I went to the bathroom and I threw up because I just it was the first like apparent sign that she was really sick and this is you know such a stupid thing to attach to hair but it was like, I could see she had lost weight. I could see she was like skinnier. Like I've always had a weird relationship with my hair where I like to dye it a lot. I like to cut it a lot. I like to like do weird things with it because I feel like when I have an unhealthy attachment to it and like it's relation to how pretty I am or whatever, I feel kind of like guilty about it, if that makes sense, because it was really hard after that to see my mom also be a woman without hair and single and like so incredibly self-conscious when she had been so confident before that was a really hard thing to see and I think yeah kind of gave me a hair complex so I did a lot of sports growing up and I was playing basketball at the time and I remember I would just have to get rides from a lot of my teammates a lot of the time because my dad uh lived like an hour and a half away so he would take me to some games but um for the most part it was like hitching rides with friends making sure I got myself to the bus stop on time like all these things and these were things that my sister and I had kind of been used to doing because my mom she was putting herself through grad school and then she was bartending so she we were used to her not being around a ton but um this I think it was harder to have her be around but not be able to do those things and she did still try and go to my basketball games I remember a really shitty girl on my team was like why doesn't your mom have hair and then me being like and I this is another thing I still feel guilty about I like asked my mom why she wasn't wearing her wigs more and she was like well they make my head really itchy and I was like well can you wear them to my basketball games I've probably apologized to my mom for that like so many times and she doesn't remember it but I just remember like how fucking awful that was that I was embarrassed that my mom didn't have hair but it you know it's just like I was 12 13 whatever 14 at the time so do you remember what it was like when she told you that she no longer had cancer I feel like it was that sense of not believing her again and like she still goes for routine checkups 
I still gut check text my sister and I'm like, is mom really okay? Like I still have this sense of like not believing her because of that first initial diagnosis period and how much she downplayed it. And like still now she'll downplay stuff. Like if she finds a little spot in her skin or whatever, like she'll be like, it's nothing. It's just a freckle, blah, blah, blah. So I think I didn't believe it for a really long time. And now it's been, I guess, 14, 15 years. But it's also something I think about, you know, with my own life and I'm sure you do too. It's just like a weird thing that hangs over you. And I remember there was this genealogy test where we could figure out if we had the, uh, the breast cancer gene that's like hereditary. And both me and my sister were like, we don't really want to because we still would check ourselves in the same way. But like just knowing, having that extra sense of impending doom, not that people shouldn't get checked. I absolutely think they should. I just think at the time when it was brought up to us, I was, you know, in my twenties and early twenties. Um, so do you think that your own kind of like anxiety about health or mild hypochondria <laughs> it's has, okay i'm a hypochondriac you can say uh, it. has anything to do with this yeah i mean definitely anytime something i have something wrong with me regardless of webmd confirming my suspicion that it's cancer <laughs> i just assume it's cancer and i've always been like incredibly cautious i think like sometimes when people are like affected by death or a near-death situation they go one of two directions you either like live your life to the fullest and you're like I'm gonna you know skydive and get tattoos and blah 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 and I feel like I was like I'm going to check every single freckle I have and I'm going to like diagnose every single like any time of a swollen lymph node I'm like it's cancer you know the way that you describe like what your dynamic was with mm-hmm. you your sister and her like I think you already saw her as like an actual fully realized human rather than like this person is like a superhero this person yeah you know no, definitely and I I wonder like how your image of her changed a bit or like how it just got like more fully colored in and that's like the lucky part about like your parent surviving this illness is like you I don't know you get to take them for granted again and like I think I definitely did that to her at a point but also I like recognized her as a person like I could see I could see all of these things that like children shouldn't necessarily understand like I could see the different like layers to her I could see her as a single woman wanting to have a romantic partner who cared for her during this terrible thing even if he wasn't the greatest partner like I could see her having an emotionally abusive essentially partner because it was better than not having someone at all So I saw that layer to her. I could see her like still faking it in front of her friends when they came over. Then I could see her being like incredibly like strong and then also incredibly, I won't say weak because that's not not the right word for it, but like in so much pain. So I feel like I saw all these layers to her and I like understood her as not just my mom, but like this person. We've had like a really close and like kind of sometimes lacking boundaries relationship since then. There's kind of been some moments in where the roles of parent and child were reversed, but I think like she genuinely worked so hard so much to like do the very best she could. I mean, I honestly still feel like there's stuff I have to apologize for and I still I feel like I'm going to feel guilty about those moments where I wasn't understanding for the rest of my life and it's hard to like step outside of yourself and be like you were you know 12 or 13 years old like you were a kid memories like stay with you in a weird way where like the sharpest ones are usually the things you're like either most ashamed of or were most sad or terrifying to you like those are the things that say stay with you I think it's like a matter of forgiving yourself for not being the best version of yourself because like realizing it was also happening to you too and I think that that's something I didn't realize for a long time it was like my mom was sick I was there but it was also like I went through that with her and like it did change my child in a in a way so I feel like that's the only way I try and like get past the guilt I wish that someone told me like you're not missing out on 
you're not missing out on anything that's like happening at school or like happening with your friends like drama like you're not missing out on anything and like what is happening in the people you're with right now is like way more important and will like fundamentally shape you as a person in a way that's like way more valuable than going to like a dance or a pool party or a sleepover I think for a while I thought I, I missed out on something but in my adult life I've realized like no this is like a this is an inherent part of who I am now and like how I move through the world and how I like extend empathy to others so I think it's I think having someone tell me like you're not missing out on anything being somewhere being there for someone that you care about thank you for listening to this episode of don't tell the babysitter mom's dead For this episode, I put up a shitload of episode extras, some of which I've made public because they're just so good. They're on Patreon. There's even a whole bit about how Kristen and her mom not having a resource about how to navigate queer acceptance in a familial setting played into Kristen's work of creating those resources herself. You can find these throughout the month on patreon.com slash deadmomcast, and feel free to support the podcast if you are moved to do so. You can follow Kristen Russo at Kristen Nolene, Lizzie Seabuck at Lizzie Seabuck, and Kirsten King at Kirsten L. King on Instagram and Kirsten King underscore on Twitter. You can follow me at Brit27Ash. The logo is by Christine Tuna, and the music is by Interstellar Sarah Michelle Geller. The next episode is the season one finale. It'll contain basically my own little travel doc, a lot of personal goodies, and a few interviews about the experience of losing my mom. Cannot wait to relive trauma. Yes.